Welcome to Calming the Chaos Podcast, where we help you find peace in a chaotic world. I'm your host, Tracy Canella, licensed mental health counselor. Calming the Chaos provides self-help resources for people in crisis. It's not a substitute for counseling or psychotherapy. Thanks for tuning in. And now, let the chaos begin. Problems with relationships have plagued us throughout the course of time. And I don't know about other licensed therapists, but problems with relationships have been more prevalent in my private practice since the pandemic than ever. Certainly, divorce rates have continued to decline, and more people continue to struggle with relationships, not just breaking up friendships, but romantic relationships, divorce co-parenting, and other things are happening in and out of relationships, and of course, the relationships that we have with ourselves. So today we have Deborah Vogue, who is here to help us understand how to navigate through a variety of different relationship problems, such as divorce, co-parenting, managing family conflict, and we may even have a little discussion about how loneliness contributes to all of this. Uh, Deborah is a, a crisis navigation partner with over 30 years of experience as a leadership researcher, executive, and advisor. And she provides a women specifically with skills and tools that they need to process different situations in their lives and with chaos that comes with these issues like divorce and co-parenting, family conflict, loneliness, you name it. Deborah has probably seen it. And so now we are going to talk about divorce, co-parenting and managing conflict with the families and possibly loneliness with Deborah Vogue. Deborah, welcome to Calming the Chaos podcast. Thank you, Tracy. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Yes. So it's great to see you again. And thanks for coming on to the show. I really value your opinions and your expertise here. We're going to be talking about a really pretty important subject here. So why don't we get to know you first, uh, a little bit more about you than what I said in my intro, and uh, we can go from there. Okay. Well, the chaos in my life started <laughs> when I was a kid because um, my this was in the I was born in the 60s and my family moved around a lot for my dad's job. And so his he worked for one company, transferred us all over the country. And so we lived in nine different places when I was growing up. And I learned a lot about the challenges of transition, even at that young age, before I went through things that were more traditionally considered crises like divorce, um, having someone in your family being diagnosed with a mental health issue or a physical health issue disputes, so many other kinds of things. So I studied psychology undergrad at Wellesley College, and then I got my MBA from MIT Sloan School of Management. And I've always been really interested in where psychology and business come together. So I had a leadership and career coaching practice and, uh, and, and organizational consulting practice for about 19 years before I decided to really hone in on what was my favorite work, which was working with leaders, usually women, going through some sort of personal or professional or organizational crisis. And so my business, Connect2 Corporation, has been focused all on that work since mm -hmm. 
the summer of 2019. And then, as you may recall, there was a bit of an international <laughs> thing that happened. And suddenly, everybody was in crisis. Mm. And um, unfortunately, business has been booming. Yeah. It has. It has. Just like I said in my intro that I see more conflicts with relationships than ever. Uh, and I've been in counseling for 20 plus years myself. So it, it is a chaotic situation when people just don't know what to do with their relationships with other people. So hopefully we can, between the two of us, sort some of this stuff out for people who are dealing with these specific issues and possibly others. But uh, I do see that uh, the romantic relationship divorce, co-parenting is a particular challenge right now. Would you agree? Absolutely. Yeah. So so where do we want to start with this? I, I guess maybe uh, if you have uh, some experiences or some information that you can draw upon as far as your work, I can try and uh, put some of my stuff in there as well. But what do you see when working with people surrounding uh, people who are getting divorced and, and just trying to do co-parenting together? I consider a crisis to be an intense time or a difficult time when you can't keep going on with life as regularly scheduled programming. Things have to shift because something so big is happening, you have to pay attention to it. That's the way I think of a crisis. And with relationship-oriented crises, like other crises too, there's, there's some hallmarks. One, there's an increased need to make a lot of decisions in a short period of time. That's one hallmark of a crisis. Another one is an increased need to have difficult conversations or to write difficult communications during that time. And also people who, even people who feel loved and supported can really feel on their own going through crises because it can feel like it's just only happening to me. I'm the only one going through this right at this moment. So there's an increase in isolation a lot as well for people in those circumstances. Yeah, I see some parents who are actually going through divorces. I have quite a few uh, that I'm working with right now. Sometimes I'm working with their kids and their parents get, the kids' parents get divorced and are getting divorced. And I see a lot of tension happening in the couple trying to work things out and to try and manage uh, the conflict. And uh, one of the things that I've been noticing is that people are digging in their heels a little bit more now. They are really glued to their opinions and their viewpoints, and they're not very flexible in their thinking. That's one of the things that I've I've uh, observed working with uh, with couples and with kiddos who have parents who are going through divorces. How about you? I think that is true, and my theory about that is because people have less capacity than they had even before the pandemic when so many people felt so maxed out anyway. And then once the pandemic started, there was so much more intensity going on and so many more crises, whether it was at work or at home and people having to spend a lot more time together than they normally did you know, in their houses. And so I've seen that people have almost less access to some of the internal resources than they might have had four years ago because they're just burned out. Mm -hmm. They're exhausted. And so, uh, you know, and some people like me are getting COVID for the first time, you know, so I got COVID for the first time. That's still going on and that's taken a lot 
out of me, you know, not very serious, but there's just people are still going through so much and the war in the Middle East is going on. There's just in the Ukraine, there's so much that's very, very stressful happening in the world. And then on a micro level, individuals, couples, families, business partners, other kinds of relationships are really struggling. And so I do think that people are more likely to kind of go into their corners and stay really position oriented instead of interest oriented in their dialogue and makes it harder. Yeah. And then I think about like, okay, here's a couple, they're, they're married or committed and they decide, they're trying to decide whether or not they're going to stay together. So that's one kind of couple that comes in yeah. and others are already committed, married, maybe married for several years. And they're deciding there's some with kids, some with different assets. It's easier to break free from some relationships or easier to decide, but there's all kinds of different scenarios. Do we have a framework with which to approach the different types of relationship conflicts, challenges, and you know whether or not we're going to stay friends, whether or not we're going to stay married, whether or not we're going to stay partnered, who's going to have the kids? For me, that seems like chaos. What do you think? Yeah, I think that that is that can be chaos. And even families that had uh, established patterns with their parenting schedule, you know, co-parenting, they had established visitation schedules that everybody was used to. But then things got changed during the pandemic, because I don't know about you, but I know families who like in my own family, my ex-husband didn't see our children for a really long time because he had health conditions and he was really worried about getting sick. And so they only saw each other for a very long time over Zoom. So there was, the kids were with me even more than usual. You know, this was in the first year of the pandemic. So there's just so many additional stressors to take a total relationship. In terms of the framework, I always think about how it's our responsibility and not everyone does this, but I feel like it's our responsibility to really understand what our biggest needs are and what our biggest values are. And often when we can have communication from that place, recognizing that everyone has needs and everyone has values, things they value highly, things that they don't really value, it can become easier to have the difficult conversations. But not everybody knows if they've never been in therapy and they've never been in coaching, um, they might not really know what those are for them. Yeah, if you want a big picture view of that, needs and values for sure. And if you can keep that in mind, we all have them. We all have needs and we all have values. And you'd mm -hmm. like to think that most people who have families value their families and they also have certain needs such as working schedule needs, childcare needs, all that other stuff. And what, about the, what about the piece though with the other party? So we're talking about, I mean, both parties do have needs and values, but what about the other party's ability to accommodate those needs and those values of the other person? This is where I typically get stuck is yeah. that the other party isn't even, isn't either willing, they're not either willing or able to accommodate those needs of the other partner. And in that case, what do we do? Yeah. And there's something even as a, 
<clears throat> the next level of that that makes it even more complicated. And I had a conversation with somebody this week who was talking about her relationship with her husband. And overall, they have a good marriage. She's saying he's not treating me the way that he used to in all these you know, ways now that we have three children. And I said, OK, but when are you treating yourself that way? When are you taking time for yourself? When are you making space for yourself? When do you give yourself time off? When do you give yourself a bath or a nice dinner or anything? I believe that until you are filling that need for yourself to some extent, you're not really going to notice when the other person is trying. Yes, there's another situation where there's two partners and whether they're business partners or romantic partners, and one says, I'm so sick of you. I don't even care what your needs are. I'm just dealing with my own self. Mm -hmm. And then what's the other person to do when they wanted to stay in the relationship? Yeah. Yeah. Again, all kinds of different scenarios and situations. And I'm so glad that you mentioned that. Like, what are you doing for yourself and how are you taking responsibility for getting your own needs met is extremely important. And people do tend to think that, this person's not meeting my needs right now. Okay, right. That's probably true. And maybe they're not capable or able. Uh, and how are you meeting your own needs at this point in time? Yeah, for sure. I'm uh, trying to think uh, of a success story that I've had with a relationship. And, you know, when we think of success stories, it doesn't necessarily mean that a couple who's on the brink of divorce is going to get back together again. Mm -hmm. A success story might be uh, that they uh, separate for a time or that they actually do get divorced. But I think when I think of success stories, uh, I think of what is in the highest good for all parties concerned. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm trying to think there's been a couple of them that I have. Uh, I was wondering if you had any, if not, I can share a little generalities of about some of mine that I've had who have been pretty successful at maneuvering this problem. Um, one success story that comes to mind for me is I, I'm trained in conflict resolution. I've always been really interested in, in conflict resolution and I'm a, a trained as a mediator. And so I've used those skills in my coaching and consulting as well. And several years ago, maybe like eight years ago, there were two partners who asked me to help them. They weren't married. They never married, but they decided to have children together. And um, they had very different ideas about how the kids should go back and forth between their homes. And so we had extensive conversation where by having a third party there with both of them that they both trusted, they were able to get deeper into their whys and not just be stuck at the what. I want my child to be in the same house three days in a row before they switch to another house. That's it. I'm not doing this unless it's that. Um, but then they were able to get into why was that important. And eventually, because they got past being stuck with the what and were able to understand the, the whys, they were able to come up with a schedule that they could agree to and also have enough flexibility in it that the person who, and the couple who is much more open to possibilities uh, could hold on to them. And the person who was much more into schedules could have enough scheduling. So they're no more together now, all these years later than they were then as a couple, but they have 
come to a place where they had enough balance between routine and flexibility. Mm-hmm. They, it was better for the kids. Yeah, exactly. Well, so it's not just about what we want, but the deeper question is why do we want this and why is it important? And that, I think that goes back to our values. If our family and our children and or our psychological mental health well-being is important, if our schedule is important, if making a living is important, uh, I, the hope is, is that we try and work together to be able to accomplish that why. And similarly, for me in my practice, I've had uh, situations where uh, they uh, have been on the fence about getting a divorce and or separation and or they've even tried a, a trial separation. Several couples have tried this and it's just turned out either way. We get back together, uh, we try it over again, or we decide that life is actually better on our own. And then comes, I guess, the the challenge of the legalities, the legal system of it all. Do we want to get divorced, legally separated? And if so, is one of them going to be a stickler about what they want? And they're not going to make it easy for the other partner. And I've seen that happen quite a bit. One of the partners is, uh, of course, I'm only getting one side of the story, technically, if I'm not having the whole couple in therapy. But one of them is purporting to bend over backwards for the other one. And the other one is just trying to make it hard through the legal system. And then financially, one of the partners could be drained, not have a whole lot of money to employ lawyers, attorneys. So when we talk about the legal and financial considerations of, of being going through an actual separation, do you have any wise counsel to, to offer anybody who is struggling in those sorts of areas? One thing that I've been surprised by doing this work over the years is how many couples leave all the financial knowledge to one person. And then if, God forbid, one of them gets sick or, you know, is in the hospital, is injured, or they decide to separate, one person has all the power and the information and the other person doesn't. And often the person who has all the power and information doesn't want it. (laughs) Wanted the other person to learn it, but the other one's like, no, you've got it, dear. You're in charge of it. So one thing that comes to my mind when you ask that question is, Take the time to be aware of your own financial situation. Know what your assets are as a couple and individually. Know what your liabilities are. Because if you do split up or something, other crisis befalls that uh, you didn't choose, Mm -hmm. like you might choose a separation, you're going to need to know how to access your money, how much debt do you have, how, where's, where are your insurance policies? I, I'm just really, I've been amazed by <clears throat> the number of people that I've ended up working with just in the past few years who one partner just left it all to the other. And then for whatever reason, that didn't work anymore. And that's even harder. <laughs> that becomes mm-hmm. even harder than if you started with kind of equal, not money, but equal awareness. Right. Well, so this is uh, Deborah speaking to those of you who are not necessarily planning on separating, getting divorced or uh, splitting up. 
to be aware. Every couple needs to do that, especially if you have a joint joint custody of your finances, a joint accounts, joint finances. If you're a beneficiary, beneficiary or somebody is a beneficiary uh, on your life insurance or even your retirement 401k plans, all that stuff. Be aware of where your finances are, how to access them and where you stand, right? Absolutely. I just made this template from my own. I made a crisis navigation plan for myself because I'm solo in business. And like 20 years ago, I had a friend whose therapist suddenly passed away. And the therapist apparently had no plan for how are my clients going to find out that I'm not going to show up in the office because I'm dead. Um, <laughs> and it really got me thinking, this was like 20 years ago, how important this is for businesses. So anyway, ever since then, as a solo practitioner within my corporation, I've had this plan. So recently I turned it into a template that other people can use too to fill in. This is all the information that you need to leave organized in one place so that someone can step in if you're suddenly injured, disabled, dementia comes. I mean, it's just, I see so many things going on. Um, no one plans to have a crisis. No one gets married with the thought, yeah, I'm probably gonna get divorced, but we'll just see how this lasts. You know, <laughs> everyone intends to live happily ever after. And there's just too many things that can go wrong that aren't our fault and, you know, and we didn't plan for. And so we have to take time to do the important things, not just the urgent things to protect ourselves and our loved ones. That's great advice for, for you to say that. And uh, because we don't expect a crisis. And I think what we have done in my company is uh, a business will. And uh, you just it flew through my head. When was the last time I updated that? It was probably about 10 years ago and things have changed. So thank you for reminding me. I do it every six months. I have a, you know, in my recurring to do, I have one. Okay, go and check. Oh, yeah, I did switch insurance. Let me put the new insurance information in this. Oh, yeah, I no longer work with that bookkeeper. Let me update who's the bookkeeper now. That's a good rule of thumb. So any of you who are therapists out there, and I know a lot of therapists in private practice do listen to this podcast, uh, just every six months, review your, your business will. If you don't have a business will, then make one. And if you would like uh, to consult Deborah about her template, I'm sure you could be able to contact her through yeah. her website. I'll go ahead and put the website name up here and the website address that is www.connect2, that's t connect and two.com. And there is a contact sheet on her website that you can use to give her a contact. And that template is available. It, I, I assume it makes it very easy for somebody to make a will such like that. I mean, I, I can't say it's a, a will, like a legal will. And I'm interested to know, I never heard the term business will. So I'd love to hear what's in your business will, but it's kind of a keys to the kingdom. Here's all the information you would know. Here's how to log into the place to find out who are all my individual clients right now. Here's how to get into my contact database to look up their phone numbers, all those, those kinds of pieces. 
Right. Yeah, I guess it is a little bit different than a business will. So it is more of a, a protection and is something that you would want to have on hand for people to find so that your clients will be covered and that you'll be able to continue on. Somebody will be able to continue on. Of course, yeah. you have to get that person's permission to be the executor or the a person who has the keys right. to the kingdom or whatever. So, yeah. So connect to Dot com is uh, Deborah's website. We'll take a trip over there uh, in a little bit. Uh, so <laughs> yeah. can I just ask you a little bit about when we don't agree about child support <laughs> and we don't think it's fair or we don't think we're getting enough or the person's not paying? How do we navigate that kind of crisis and conflict in the families of divorced people? It's difficult because there's how do we resolve conflicts between the two of us approaches? And then there's also, if we can't, we get the legal system involved. And does that work? How does that work? I mean, I know in Massachusetts, even before the pandemic, it's worse now. The court system, the family court system is tremendously backed up. And so you can't even necessarily turn to a judge or someone to, or a guardian ad litem, or someone to say, okay, we can't agree, but you make the decision because we need to sort this out and these kids have to eat. Yeah. Um, we can't even rely on the court system to help us the way maybe, maybe we would have been able to 30 years ago. I don't know, because I didn't try 30 years ago, but I started trying 15 years ago and it was already hard enough. And I know I made a vow. I am never ever going back to family court for myself with my ex-husband and my children, I will do anything it takes to avoid that no matter what ever again, including, yeah. including just compromise about money in ways that I don't feel good about and so forth, because it's so expensive and so time consuming. For yeah. me, it took me almost four years to get divorced, even though there is a law in Massachusetts that says once you file for divorce, the court has to divorce you within 18 months because they can't hold you in a marriage against your will. Well, that's a really good law, but the system isn't set up to back that up. And it took me almost four years. Wow. That's yeah. a long time. And, and in the meantime, having to weigh the benefits and, uh, you know, uh, and uh, opposing sort of benefits, um, losing that, but but having to, to weigh it all out and say, is this worth it for me to go to family court? Because it is so stressful. It is so emotional. And could you possibly get the resources from somewhere else if the other party isn't willing to pay support for the kids. And yeah, is it worth your emotional, mental, uh, and financial well-being to go to court? That's a really great point. Yeah, I think you have to factor that in. And also, where can you get support to help you handle the situation better? Because, you know, when we're so emotionally drained and physically drained from extra childcare responsibilities and whatever else is going on, like I was saying at the beginning, we're not necessarily functioning at our best. So I really encourage people to seek therapists, coaching, a crisis navigation partner. You don't have to be alone. You can have a thought partner to help you strategize and find your way through to the best possible outcome. Mm -hmm before he had, gets to the point of having to go to court or even if it goes to court. Right. Because <laughs> the attorneys 
in my, I've had I went like seven different family law attorneys. My favorite one, unfortunately, passed away of pancreatic cancer. She was young. She had a lot of kids. Um, that was awful. So I wouldn't have kept going, <laughs> but she unfortunately passed away. So the point is, I see how overcome these attorneys are, and they don't have time to pay as much attention to the details of what's going on in the relationship they're trying to pull apart. They often just show up and read something, whether or not it's accurate. It's it's a very messed up, broken system. And I regularly referred to going to court, <laughs> to a divorce court, at least in Massachusetts, as another circle of hell, just being there. Like I said, I don't ever want to walk into one of those buildings again, unless it's to support someone else. Hmm. In Washington state, we do have a free legal service, but I'm sure they're sort of backlogged too at this point in time. I'm not sure. We do have free legal services here in Washington state, or at least in Olympia. And people who are attorneys will volunteer their time. In fact, mm -hmm. I think it, that's what it's called, the volunteer legal services. I can put a link in the notes. I know you have resources on your website as well. I'm not sure if they're legal resources, but they might be more mental health related or family related yeah. uh, resources. But you do have a, quite a list of them I saw on your our website. So so with that, I want to go into self-care a little bit more because you were delving into that sort of uh, area of a discussion. So through all this, through family court, through divorce, through a relationship split up, through the adjustment with the kids, through family conflict, and possibly even feeling kind of lonely because we've lost our partner. Yeah. So how are we supposed to take care of ourselves through all of that when we've got so much else to do, right? I mean, I know from having been there, not just in the course of going through divorce, but also you know, medical crises with my kids, I, I had these moments where people would say, I remember my son was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes and we were in the hospital for five days at Boston Children's Hospital while we were learning what to do. He was 10 years old. And uh, so this was 11 years ago. And I remember people saying things like, no, Deb, you should take a break. You should go out, you know, and go take some time for yourself. And I remember thinking, I can't do that. You know, somebody, <laughs> I don't want to like be dramatic, but at the time I was so exhausted that I was being dramatic. And I was saying, I can't take a break because my child needs me. And there's something about when you take time out for yourself, whether it's to meditate or, you know, have a bubble bath or get a massage or just go on a walk. When you take time out for yourself, time seems to slow down and expand for you. It's counterintuitive. I definitely have had moments where I did not believe that at all <laughs> um, when I was going through things, but I have learned over time the value of silence, the value of quiet, the value of giving yourself time off. And all those things are forms of self-care. It doesn't have to be, you know, you go to a luxury spa or something, although that's great if you can do that. Mm -hmm. And one of my biggest messages now to leaders in crisis is, okay, so what are you doing for yourself today? Mm -hmm. Yes, the crisis is going to go on. You need to take a break for you know, a period of time. And I help them figure out how to do that because often people just can't imagine putting all this down, this huge, heavy burden to go take care of themselves. But 
they, you have to, we have to take care of our own bodies and souls if we are going to get through the crisis or we're creating another crisis for ourselves at the same time, a health crisis, a mental health crisis, either one. Mm -hmm. I think I remember it was from one of Stephen Covey's uh, books, uh, success books, and they talked about sharpening the saw. Yeah. And that is the parable of the man who's sawing away at a tree and sawing and sawing. And somebody just sort of observes them doing this and says, well, you know, it would go a lot faster if you stopped and sharpened your saw. And the person refuses to do that. But the truth is, is that if they did stop, sharpen their saw and then continue doing what they were doing, the tree would come down a whole lot faster. And I love that sort of visualization for self-care. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't have to take long. I even when when I have two or even one minute, a whole minute before a therapy session starts and I'm not doing anything, I will take that minute and I will luxuriate in it. So it doesn't have to be that long, but take that time and each moment, each second, half second is that margin that you can use to split between your own downtime, even if it is 30 seconds downtime, and then the time that you have to be on and take it, take it where you can get it and enjoy it, be mindful of it. Again, it doesn't have to be very long, but you do have to have that intention that, hey, I'm going to try and find pockets of time for myself to stare at a wall. I love doing that, by the way. Stare <laughs> And stare at a wall. It doesn't have to even have a mural on it or anything. Just stare at, stare at a wall, stare out the window, stare at my hands, take a breath, close my eyes, visualize a good place, but it doesn't have to be that long. Just take care of yourself. Take care of yourself by eating, <laughs> sleeping, uh, doing some kind of physical activity, getting outside, and it doesn't have to be for that long would be what I would say about self-care. Can you tell I did my master's thesis on self-care and voc rehab counselors and uh, burn out? <laughs> yeah, it says just paying attention to your breath is self-care. So while you're staring at a wall, just concentrating on your breath, and that just, like you said, those very little things do make a difference. And that's neuroscientifically backed up. That's not just me saying, you know, you, you'll feel better if you breathe. <laughs> Research says you feel better if you pay attention to your breath. Research says you feel better if you go out in nature. Research says you feel better if you take time where your brain doesn't have to have a set agenda for just even that minute. And I think that some parents would, would challenge me and say, but I have a screaming kid all the time. When the truth is you actually don't have a screaming kid all the time. If you had a screaming kid all the time, then the kid would never eat or sleep or get the care in themselves, right? You will be in the car at some times without the, the child. You will be in the bathroom without the child. You will be without the child at certain times. So Hold on, I have to argue with you. As a mom, you don't always get to be in the bathroom without the child, depending on the age. <laughs> That's true. I, you know, I, when I said that, I thought, do I actually really know that? I know a lot of mothers who say, no, they find their ways in. And if not, they start to pound on the door. And uh, so, yeah. 
<laughs> but the, 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 the truth is, is that the child will sleep at some time and the child will be quiet at some time. You will be in the car at some time without the child. So take advantage of those, those times where the screaming child is not around uh, to be able to go inward and try and find a quiet place and uh, take care of yourself for sure. There's so much about perspective, you know, like I think when we're in the middle of the crisis, our perspective is everything going on in the world is the crisis and everything is on fire. Mm -hmm. And I cannot possibly take a break from being on fire because everything's on fire. But I just, like I told you, I, I had COVID for the first time that started three weeks ago. The first day I slept for about 23 hours, which is like just insane. I could sleep that much. But when I woke up, what I thought every time was, oh my gosh, I'm so glad that now is when I got COVID because there's no one else in my house to infect. So I didn't have to worry about that. And no one else I needed to take care of because both of my kids are in college. And I was so appreciative of like, oh, being really sick all by myself this is a breeze. But if the same thing had happened to me 22 years ago, I'd be like, oh, what was me? I'm sick by myself. It's so hard to take care of myself. So when the thing is resilience, crisis builds resilience and you get different perspective and things that seemed impossibly hard can actually seem easier on the other side of it. That is so true. And being grateful for what you have and what you don't have is key to that. And uh, being grateful for not infecting people is such a blessing. Because yeah, I know I've known a lot of families who have gotten COVID and there are whole kids have and they have and there are quarantine and who's going to feed each other and who's going to drop trays off beside the room, the closed room door and yeah. all that goes on uh, within families for sure. So I want to uh, call attention again to uh, Deborah's website, which is uh, connect to C-O-N-N-E-C-T-T-W-O.com. And we're going to take a little trip over to your website if we can. Okay. I really like your <laughs> website and it's, it's beautiful, actually. I don't know who designed it, but here it is. Here we go. Yeah. And it, and it pops up with a chat with Deborah. So again, if you are interested in uh, the the uh, template uh, that uh, people use to be able to take care of themselves if something, if an emergency happens and you are a business owner, uh, contact Deborah. Or even and individuals, for individuals too, even if you don't own a business, just say no. Yeah, contact me and I'm happy to share it. Oh, that's right. Yeah, because individuals have passwords and they have bank accounts yeah. and everything. Yeah. Yep, yep. Absolutely. So yeah, let's look, look through. I love the fact that you've got butterflies. Well done. Definitely. And uh, this talks about services. And yeah, tell us about the webpage and the things that you, just some of your good stuff that you do. Well, I try to keep things really simple in terms of how I offer services. So the kind, what I do with people in terms of the work I can do outsource research projects. I can help them come up with a strategy. I can help them plan for difficult conversations. I can connect them to other resources that they might need. You know, someone who's had the exact same strange, weird form of brain cancer that you have. I happen to know another person here. Talk to each other so you can get up the learning curve faster. <clears throat> so real life example. Um, so um, those are the kinds of things I do with people. The way I charge is you can just work with me for an hour or you can do uh, 10 hours with me where you get a 10% discount. You kind of buy nine hours and get the 10th free or you can do a um, ongoing deeper 
program as well. But most of my clients come to me and say, let's start with 10 hours and see what happens. And sometimes everyone said after the 10 hours and sometimes they do another 10 hours. So I'm pretty flexible um, in terms of working with me. And I try to stay that way to make it easier for people to decide when they're already under pressure, already in a crisis. For sure. And it looks like you have a free inspirational email that you can sign up for down here, join my tribe. And that is a, a competence archetype assessment. Ooh, that sounds interesting. I, like uh, <laughs> ah. I created that. I noticed uh, that most of my clients that I work with tend to be what I call hyper-competent people. They're so good at getting things done. And they're such the go-to person for getting things done that it becomes bad for them. And that seemed to be just a big pattern in the kinds of clients I was attracting. And so I created this assessment to see like, if you are hyper-competent and if so, what kind? And so therefore, what can you do about it? Hmm. A 10 question quiz to learn your competence archetype. Wow, that's really super cool. Yeah. And it looks like you do have a blog and uh, some other resources, and you also have some courses that you're offering. Is there anything coming up or something that you'd like to call attention to, either specifically on this topic of co-parenting, divorce, and managing family conflict, or anything else? Well, I, for a while, taught a live workshop called How to Win-Win Any Difficult Conversation. And it was groups of up to six people at a time. And I was teaching them skills for difficult, uh, for having difficult conversations. And I turned that, I, I still may host that in the future, but I turned that into a video product. Um, so that's on the website as well. And that's a very expensive way that someone can get that knowledge, get those tools, get that information and just go through it at their own pace uh, nice. with all the material. So there's a live version on the website that doesn't have a start date at the moment. But when I get kind of a critical mass of people needing it, I say, okay, let's start with next month. Uh, but this is that people can get access to the information anytime by nice. getting the video product. Look how happy you look in that picture. Oh, oh my goodness. <laughs> that is so wonderful. Yes, repurpose your live streams for sure. I mean to do that one of these days when I have some spare time. And so this is a great tool for anybody to access. And it's a standalone. You can just pay for it. And then I believe you could probably just learn at your own pace, correct? Exactly. And you can go back and review it later. What was that thing again? Oh, that was in module two. You know, it's got a whole list with other, the topics and you can go right into that because each video is actually just a few minutes long. You can go right into that little segment that you wanted to hear again. Right. I do want to just call attention to the resources tab here because I did notice that I think it was on this one. Oh, what's stitching? Bitch. Oh. <laughs> of course I would I would of course be attracted to that, right? Like, oh that's where I belong. So the next one is November 18th. I would love for you to come. Usually I do in the evenings, but that one I'm doing is a Saturday afternoon. And that is just a place for people to come and zoom. People bring something creative they're working on sometimes or a pile of papers on their desk that they want to sort through, or sometimes they just bring like a glass of wine and a bottle of wine and a glass and they pour it in. But it, the opportunity is for people to be together and connect over Zoom. And we talk about what are we celebrating? What are people struggling with? The wisdom of the crowd, people help each other. And 
it's really an incredible uh, group and we're always open to more people coming. And I do them like once every six to 10 weeks. So November 18th, come. If you click on that, you'll see it's free. Yeah, I, I did uh, click on that and I will actually, this is really super cool. So let me share this because I have to do this on a separate screen. Okay. Um, yeah, here it is. All right. Yeah, there there we should have it there. And yeah, uh, yeah that's Stitch and Bitch Saturday, November 18th. You can do whatever you need to do. Historically, I knit during Stitch and Bitch while I'm talking and people are doing all different kinds of uh, crafty things or really they just come for the connection and the conversation. Awesome. Well, that is so cool. And then you are also on uh, social media and here, let me show a couple of things here and uh, your Facebook page. All you have to do is remember connect to C-O-N-N-E-C-T-T-W-O and uh, Deborah's on uh, Facebook mm -hmm. and the same goes for LinkedIn yeah. and for Instagram. And yeah. so find Deborah out there in social media. I'm sure she will be advertising this podcast interview on her social media as I, as well. I, yeah. so yeah. And now I wanted to ask you real quick, as we were talking about this, as we wrap up, um, there's a New York times article that you did share with me about loneliness and the problem of loneliness and how we relate to ourselves. And I wondered if you could speak to the chronic problem of loneliness, because it does have to do with relationship with others and with ourselves. There are a lot of lonely people out there. And uh, I'd like, if, if you could, to give some encouragement to people who may not be partnered up with somebody or may be experiencing some loneliness at this point in time, if you could. The day that you and I first met, I just happened to have read this article that was in the New York Times that you're talking about a couple days before the Surgeon General of the United States has, you know, remember that, oh gosh, his name just slipped my mind, but the Surgeon General who made his whole platform getting people to stop smoking. <laughs> Similarly, this current U.S. Surgeon General has made his whole platform getting people to understand the health risks of loneliness and helping people to find more connection. And that is a topic that is near and dear to my heart. I haven't read the article recently, but there is research in there that loneliness is more detrimental to the body than a pack of cigarettes a day or something. I don't know. I, I can send anyone who wants the article, the article too, yeah. but um, it quotes it specifically, but it was kind of mind boggling me, mind boggling to me to see loneliness is not just something that I've experienced and didn't enjoy, but it's actually dangerous. Mm -hmm. And so the three ways that I talk about helping people get through a crisis are to improve their communication, to build up their capacity, and to connect more with their community. And so especially, I have to say men, even though most of my clients are women, I think there is a real crisis of loneliness, even more so with men, because it when under stressful situations, men, there's, you know, fight or flight response, right? Women can tend or befriend, they, they nurture, they connect by nature. And so if men are going through crises, often they just pull back and keep to themselves even more. And there's an epidemic of depression going on <clears throat> and anxiety, mental health issues in this country 
I think that one potential antidote to it is more connection. I mean, also we need therapy and sometimes we need medication and there's a lot of things that we need, but uh, one of the biggest ways, so taking care of ourselves is good, but also being in community with other people is a way through the toughest things. And I will link to the New York Times article because you have so generously shared that with me. And yeah, I've got it printed out here. It says that uh, it's linked, loneliness is linked to uh, strokes, heart disease, dementia, inflammation, and suicide. Loneliness is as deadly as smoking 15 cigarettes in a day and more lethal, yeah, and more lethal than consuming six alcoholic drinks per day says Dr. Vivek Murthy, who is the Surgeon General now. I remember C. Edwin Koop, K-O-O-P. Yeah. I remember him. That was his name, the one who was, yeah, came out to tell the people. smoking guy. Yeah, yeah, I remember he looked like Colonel Sanders or something like that. But at, <laughs> at, the, at the end of the article, it does give some tips as far as, and that's exactly what, um, uh, what Deborah was saying is that you know here we are a strategy be begin begins with social connections which we could have through infrastructure so we can open up our libraries our churches our buildings and parks and start to uh, get together in community they've started doing that in britain by having a chatty bench and people oh, yeah. can just pass by the bench and they could just be saying oh there's somebody sitting on the bench i'll just go ahead and chat with you kind of like the whole forrest gump thing right just sit okay, next yeah. to them yeah. And, and then, you know, getting past the fear of interacting with each other, I think is a, is a big thing. And that's where the therapy could come in uh, learning how to trust other people, learning how to interact with uh, other people. Cause we are not meant to be lonely as a species is really the thesis of this whole article. And we aren't, and we are meant to, um, be in community, struggle in community, and heal in community. And mm -hmm. so being with people is really important uh, to do. So uh, that's that's that little soapbox. I absolutely love the article. Thank you for sharing that with me so that we could share it with my audience because I think it's a really important thing. We don't want you to be sick. So please get out there and uh, yeah. interact. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just, just go sit on a park bench and chat with whoever comes by. I'll just sit there with a sign that says, talk to me and see what happens. I'll have somebody, I'll have somebody film me. Yeah. Oh, yes. And see who shows up. Uh, well, awesome. Do you have any parting words of wisdom or anything that you'd like to share with us, Deborah? It's been lovely having you on Calming Chaos today. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm so happy to talk with you. And I really am inspired by even this, this conversation and hearing you talk about some of the themes of things that are near and dear to my heart. Mm -hmm. Anything that we can do to find more peace for ourselves is worth investigating further. I just see people suffering so much and they don't have to do it by themselves. There's so many of us out there who want to show up and be there for you, whether you have to pay us or you don't have to pay us, you find us on a park bench, you don't have to be alone. And that's what I really want people to know, especially if they're in a crisis. And that is the theme to the show, find peace in a chaotic world. And we do interview people who are going to help us do that. Deborah, you are one of them. Uh, thank you so much for being on Calming the Chaos podcast today. And I hope you have a great rest of the day, whatever you do, and take care of that COVID, okay? Thank Take you. care of yourself. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye.
Thanks for listening to Calming the Chaos Podcast. If you found this podcast interesting or helpful, please like, subscribe, and share it with your friends. You can also go to www.calmingthechaospodcast.com to listen to all Calming the Chaos Podcast episodes. I look forward to sharing my next podcast episode with you. In the meantime, take care. Hell with the moon or something like that.